I want to bring you greetings this morning from your brothers and sisters in Christ in Las Vegas, Nevada. Maybe you didn't know you had any brothers and sisters in Christ (laughs) in Las Vegas, Nevada, but you do. God is alive and at work in our city. I joke all the time to our people in Las Vegas, I tell them, you know, I'm from Alabama and where I'm from, people don't go to Las Vegas and if they do, they don't tell anybody, right? (laughs) We don't think in Alabama that Las Vegas is hell, but we believe you can smell it from there, right? I mean, you're, you're real close there. But Las Vegas is a city where God is at work, and, and Pastor Danny is such an honor to be able to be here in this great church today, and thank you for your partnership in the city of Las Vegas. You have partnered with us in planting there, and through your partnership with the North American Mission Board, we got to go there 12 and a half years ago and be involved in planting a new church there in the city of Las Vegas, and God has done more than we ever dreamed possible in 12 and a half years. We've seen over 3,500 people come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior there in Las Vegas. We've had the privilege of starting 20, praise God for that. We've had the privilege of starting 20 churches out of our church, 10 of those right there in Las Vegas, the other 10 in the western United States. And so God is doing something great. Uh, they, they say in Las Vegas, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, but we say not anymore. What, what God is doing in Vegas is going to touch the ends of the, the earth for the glory and honor of God. So before I say anything, let me just say thank you. Whether you know it or not, through your giving, you've made an impact in my life and in the city of Las Vegas through your partnership with people like the North American Mission Board and people like us and planting other churches there in Las Vegas. Thank you so much. And it's such an honor to be here in this great church and especially on such a special occasion. You do realize that you are very blessed to have a pastor like Pastor Danny Wood here at Shades Mountain. Amen. (laughs) Amen. And on his 17th anniversary to stand in this pulpit today is a a great honor. So thank you so much for the opportunity to do that. Let me lead us in a word of prayer and I want to jump right in this morning. God, it is an honor to be here today. But Lord, this morning we, we worship you today because you deserve our worship. God, you are worthy of our worship and our praise. And Lord, I know that here at Shades Mountain, they've had many missions conferences or they've heard a lot of great preaching. But the reality today is, Lord, that we we just don't need another service. God, we need you to move here today. Holy Spirit of God, we need you to speak. Would you do something just in the stillness of this moment as you sit before the Lord? Would you simply just right now ask God to speak to you? Say, Lord, would you speak to me today? Lord, we give you all the glory for everything that you're going to do. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. For the last 15 years of my life, every year at some point in that year, I've gotten on an airplane and traveled to the continent of Africa. We've been hosting training conferences there where we've been pouring into national leaders there, predominantly in Southern Africa, but also into North Africa, training in places like 
uh, Egypt, Sudan, Jordan, working in those parts of the world. And so for 15 years, I've been going back and forth to that continent. And my heart has just fallen in love with the continent of Africa and all that God is doing there on that continent. And I've heard, as you can imagine, when you travel to places like that, you get to hear all kinds of amazing stories of God's activity. And there's one particular story that I heard that that really gripped my heart. It was from a, a friend who's become a great friend there, a partner that we work with, a national from South Africa whose name is Kun Skoltz. And Kun began to work in places like Zambia and Zimbabwe and Tanzania, training nationals and sending them out into the the unreached parts of Africa, like uh, Chad and Darfur and Sudan and places like that. And Kun told me this story. He actually shared it in one of our conferences. And it so captivated me, I grabbed him afterwards and said, I want you to to, to share that with me again so I can be sure I understand exactly what what you're saying. And here's the story that he told. He was training in uh, a region in Zambia. Now, if you've never been to Zambia, Zambia is one of those far away places, right? When we read the uttermost parts of the earth in the Bible, I think about places like Zambia. Zambia, to get there, you go to Atlanta, Georgia. You can't go anywhere without going to Atlanta, right? You get on a plane in Atlanta, Georgia. You fly 17 hours across the ocean to Johannesburg, South Africa, and then you fly another two or three hours north to Lusaka, Zambia. And then the place that I'm particularly speaking of from Lusaka, you get in a vehicle and drive 16 hours north up to a place called Mbala. It's right on Lake Tanganyika, a, a lake that really looks like an ocean that borders Zambia on the, on the northern shore and then also Tanzania. And Kun was there training And there was one particular pastor that became deeply burdened with the sense of the lostness of the people of Africa, particularly people in the region along the shore of Lake Tanganyika there in Tanzania who have never had access to the gospel before. We would call them an unreached, unengaged people group. These are people that are so remote You have to get on a boat to to reach them. You can't get there any other way except by boat going village to village along the shoreline. This particular pastor became so burdened, he wanted to to leave his home there in Zambia and go to what he considered to be the uttermost parts of the earth there in Tanzania. So he went to his church and the church said, yes, we want to send you. They contacted Kun and said, Kun, we want to send our pastor as a missionary to go reach these unreached peoples. What do we need to do? Kuhn, through his organization, did some paperwork and found out it was going to cost them about 600 U.S. dollars to get the passports and visas and everything he was going to need to go to this place in Tanzania. Now, $600 doesn't sound like a lot of money to us. But in Zambia, their currency is called the kwacha. 600 United States dollars is about 3 million kwacha. The weekly offering in this church was $2.25 a week. So if they saved every dollar of every offering for five and a half years, they would have enough money to be able to send this young man into Tanzania with the gospel. Kun shared that news with them, expecting that to be really acquire the end of the conversation. Because he knew that that was an overwhelming obstacle for this people. Two weeks later, they contacted him back and said, we have the money. He said, I don't think you understand. I said, 600 U.S. dollars. They said, no, we understand completely. We have the money. 
He said, I don't understand. They said, Kun, we realized that many of us have three shirts and we can get by with two. So we took those extra shirts to market and we sold them. And Kun, we know that most of our community here, we're farmers. We make our living off farming. And we eat three meals a day, but we can live on two. So we took all the extra crop to market and we sold it. And we have the money. We're ready to send this man to Tanzania. And as we sit here today in this comfortable worship center, there's a young man by boat going village to village along the shoreline of Tanzania planting churches. I just talked last week to a guy via email who still knows where he is and what's going on. Still to this day planting churches, reaching people that have never heard the gospel of Jesus before. I don't know how that story lands on you today, but when I hear it, I'm, I'm overwhelmed by the sacrifice and the generosity of a people like that. But it really shouldn't surprise us because that story is really not uncommon. Since the beginning of the gospel expansion in the book of Acts, wherever you see a, 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 an expression of the grace of God among the people of God, wherever you see God's grace being poured out in, a, in an unusual way, you always see accompanying that a radical display of generosity. Look, look at Acts chapter 2. I want to read you a verse just real quick before we jump in here. Acts chapter 2, it says, And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common, and they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing with them all as anyone might have need. Now, you know what that is. That's right after Peter preaches the gospel and 3,000 people on the day of Pentecost come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. This is the beginning of the kingdom expansion that took place there in the book of Acts. 3,000 people get saved and three verses later the Bible says they're selling everything that they have and giving it away. And listen, they'd never heard of Larry Burkett. They didn't have a crown class between verse 41 of Acts chapter 2 and verse 44. They'd not ever been to Financial Peace University. They had no idea who Dave Ramsey was, right? These people were just so moved by the grace of God that the only appropriate response to them was radical generosity. One of the great examples of this in the New Testament, I want you to take your Bible if you have it and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 is maybe the most defining story of radical generosity found anywhere in the New Testament. Paul is writing, and just to give you quick context, Paul is writing to the church at Corinth to do basically what you're being challenged to do today here at Shades Mountain. Paul is writing to them to encourage them to give an offering as an investment in the bigger picture of what God is doing around the world. That's exactly what you're doing here today at Shades Mountain. You are being challenged by your leadership to give an over and above offering as an investment in the big picture of what God is doing in the world. That's exactly what Paul is doing here. He's writing this letter to the church at Corinth to encourage them. But what he's doing is he's using an example 
of a church in Philippi. It's actually two or three churches in the Macedonian region, but predominantly the church at Philippi. And he's using this church in Philippi and their radical example of generosity to inspire the church at Corinth to give. Now, this is written, obviously, in, in, in biblical terminology. If we were talking, if we were writing this letter today, chapter 8, verse 1 would begin with this sentence. You have got to hear this. I want you to say that with me. You've got to hear this. Say it out loud. You've got to hear this. Look at the person next to you and say, you got to hear this. That's exactly what Paul is saying. Look at it in verse 1. He says, now brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God. Here's what that means. You got to hear this. You're not going to believe the grace of God that's been given in the churches of Macedonia. That in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us with much urging. We'll talk about that in a minute. For the favor of the participation in the support of the saints. This, not as we'd expected... But they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. It's interesting, this, this story comes from the most unlikely of places. It's kind of like a guy from Las Vegas talking to you about the gospel, right? I mean, that doesn't really make sense. You expect me to come talk to you about what the best bed is, right? Or what your best odds are. The most unlikely place for a radical story of generosity is from the church at Philippi. Paul tells us a few things about that. Number one, he says they have great affliction the word affliction is a word that literally means to be squeezed to the point of breaking apart life is hard on these people Paul tells us that they had deep poverty not just kind of lower middle class these are people that were at the bottom of the financial ladder they, they had nothing it's the literal Greek word that we we sometimes translate as the word beggar it's somebody whose only methodology of survival is asking somebody else to help them because there's nothing they can do to change their financial situation Paul says these people who had great affliction their life was being ripped apart they had deep poverty and yet oh yeah they had an abundance of joy and he said that spilled into this unbelievable generosity. And so what I want to do this morning is just in the moments that we have remaining, give you a few statements about the way that they gave that I hope will be inspirational for you today as you give. Number one, their giving was a response to God's grace. I love the way Paul opens this passage of Scripture. He says, now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given in the churches in Macedonia. Without trying to become super technical here, it's very important to understand that, that the way Paul is writing this, he's not saying, I want you to see what this church has done. He's saying, I want you to see what God has done in and through this church. These people were so moved by what God had done in them that they gave in response to God's grace among them. Now, that tells us a couple of things about giving. 
Number one, it tells us that giving is worship. Giving is worship. What is worship? Worship is my response of surrender to the grace of God in my life. A moment ago we were singing. Worship is not just about how loud or how well you sing. Worship is not about how high we lift our hands. Worship is a response of surrender to the grace of God in our lives. It can take the expression of music. It can take the expression of raising our hands. It can take the expression of praying. But it can also take the expression of giving. Giving is my response of surrender to the grace of God in my life. When is the first time any of us worship? Let me think when the first time we worship. Was. The very first time we worshiped is when we came to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I became aware of the reality of my sin before a holy God, that I was destined for hell. And I became aware of the reality of God's amazing grace through the person of Jesus Christ, that I could be forgiven of my sin, that I could be redeemed, that I could be given by grace a relationship with God. And I was so overwhelmed with the message of the gospel that the only response was a surrender of my life to the person of Jesus Christ and that was the very first moment of worship in my life worship is a response of surrender to the grace of God giving listen to what Warren Wiersbe said about their giving he said their giving was voluntary and spontaneous it was of grace not pressure they gave because they had experienced the grace of God Grace not only frees us from our sins, but it frees us from ourselves. The grace of God will open your heart and your hand. Giving is worship. What typically happens on a Sunday, families leave church, they go find a place to eat, they sit down. What do you think about worship today? What that usually means is, how'd you like what the choir sang or... How'd you like the way they led the service? Or how'd you like the message that the preacher preached? If we're going to really talk about worship, it's not so much about what happens up here. It's about what happens out here. Giving is worship. But not only is giving worship, this idea that it's a response to the grace of God means that giving's about the heart and not the pocket. You know, Pastor Danny, there's something very interesting to me in 2 Corinthians 8 that I noticed, and that is, if you and I, if I was going to write a letter or tell a story to try to inspire people in the arena of giving, there's a piece of the story we always include, right? I did it when I told you the story at the beginning. We always talk about how much they gave, right? I mean, that's a necessary component to the story, right? I mean, if you're going to inspire somebody by the, the gift that somebody's given, then you got to tell them how. But, but you know what's interesting? Paul writes these whole two chapters, inspiring this church to give, and he never one time mentions the amount of money that they gave. Now, we would think that he, maybe he left that out, but we understand the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God that he didn't leave it out. It was by design, by intent, because giving is really not about the, the pocket. Giving is about the heart. This is a clear principle of Scripture that God is not impressed by the amount of money we give. He is pleased by the attitude of our giving. You do know that there's 
None of us in the room today that can write a check that can impress God. We can't. Let me prove it to you. Look, look at Psalm chapter 50 and verse 10. Look what it says. For every beast of the forest is mine. The cattle on a thousand hills, I know every bird of the mountains and everything that moves in the field, it's mine. If I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you. For the world is, say it with me, mine and all it contains. God doesn't need it. Listen, the, the, the writer of the book of Isaiah said it this way. He said that heaven is his throne and the earth is his footstool. Get that picture in your head. God is sitting on the heavens and propping his feet up on the earth. How do you buy a Christmas present for that guy, right? I mean, Niagara Falls is like a foot massager to God. He doesn't need our resources. Well, I know what some of you are thinking. Well, well, well preacher, if, um, if God doesn't really need our money, then uh, why are we taking up an offering today? Here's why. Because giving reflects our heart attitude towards the grace of God in our lives. And that's why so many people get upset. So many people get upset when the church begins to talk about money. It's not because it's about money. Because when you start talking about money, it reveals what's in the heart. That's why Jesus said, where your treasure is, there will your, what? Heart be also. It's a heart issue. There's a story in the Bible that so illustrates this principle. It's one of my favorite stories in the Bible. And it's, to me, one of the funniest stories in all the Bible. It's found over in Mark chapter 12. If you got your Bible, flip over there for a second. I want to prove to you that giving's really about the heart. It's about a response to the grace of God in my life. Mark chapter 12, verse 41. Now, before I read it to you, let me give you the quick circumstance that's very important to understanding this story. When we take up offerings in the United States, we typically pass a basket or we'll do like your church is going to do here in a few minutes and have people spread around and you can go and drop the offering in a basket that way. But in the synagogue, the way they took the offering was different. They had one box right down front. Okay. And when it came time for the offering, everybody came and filed by the one box. Now, Offering's intimidating enough, but how intimidating would it be if when you gave your offering, you had to come down front, do it right here in front of God and everybody, right? So that's the way they took the offering. Look at it in Mark 12, 41. Look what it says. And he, Jesus, sat down opposite the treasury. Now, here's what that means. Boxes right here. Here's what Jesus does. Walks in the synagogue, people giving her offering. He comes and sits down right by the box. Now, you want to make the offering even more intimidating... Let Jesus sit down by the box. Now look what it says he did next. And began observing how the people were putting money in the treasury. So get this. Here's what's going on. Line of people. Box right here. Jesus going. Imagine if today when you took the offering, your pastor just wandered around and he followed the offering basket. Hey, how you doing? He... That's what Jesus is doing. Now, look what happens next. This is awesome. It's classic. Look what it says. And many rich people were putting in large sums. 
I guess so, with Jesus sitting at the box, right? Can you imagine the conversation that's happening in line? Honey, who's that up there? Honey, that's Jesus by the box. Give me your purse. What do you have in there? Did you bring the checkbook? Give me the car keys. Whatever you got. Wagon wheel. Whatever's in your pocket. We're just dumping it all in. They get up here. Jesus sitting there and they're just pouring stuff in the box. Look what happens next. A poor widow came. Put in two small copper coins which amount to a cent. And calling his disciples to him. Now here's what that looks like. I don't know how long you've been sitting there. Five minutes, ten minutes, fifteen minutes. People filing by. Rich people dropping in big chunks. I mean, best offering church has ever had on this day, right? Jesus sitting by the box. People giving all kinds of money. And he says nothing. Until this little widow comes. And rolls two little coins off her hand. They hit the box. When those two little coins hit the box. Jesus jumps up. Peter, James, John, come here. You've got to see this. Look what he said. Truly I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all the contributors to the treasury. For they all put in out of their surplus, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she owned, all she had to live on. Their giving was a response to the grace of God. Here's what's going to happen in a few minutes. In a few minutes, (coughs) you're going to have an opportunity to give. You're going to have an opportunity to make a commitment about what you're going to be giving over the weeks and months to come. You know what sometimes I wonder? I wonder if in our church in Las Vegas there's ever any kind of generosity where Jesus gets the angels and says, Come here. You got to see this. What if today, because of the way that you give, Jesus said, Ho, ho, ho. Come here, Gabriel. You gotta see this. Let me tell you a second thing about their giving. Their giving was an act of faith. It's an act of faith. We're not gonna spend much time here. But the bottom line is in my personal life, I don't know about yours, but my personal testimony is nothing has grown my faith like this principle of giving and generosity. Paul writes to them and he says, he writes about them and he says they gave, here's the two phrases, according to their ability and beyond their ability. We're not going to take the time to unpack it, but those two phrases really underscore everything we understand about stewardship. There is a principle that we give according to our ability today, some of you are going to have prayed, you're going to have sought the Lord, and out of what God has given to you, you're going to take a portion of that, and you're going to give that as an investment. You're going to give according to your ability. It means out of that which God gave us. But there are some of you today, you're going to give, that second phrase says, beyond your ability. It's that idea of sacrificial generosity. 
God calls us to give according to our ability. But sometimes he calls us to give beyond our ability. The problem we have in the United States is most of our giving at best is according to our ability. But it takes a deep sense of trust in God to give beyond your ability. Paul writes to this church in Corinth and he says, you're not going to believe what God's doing there. They gave as a response to the grace of God. They, they gave as an act of faith. There was no way. It did not add up on paper. If you'd done the math on paper, it didn't add up for them. There was no way they could do this. Yet they gave. Let me give you a third one. Their giving was to share in God's global purpose. Look at verse 4 back over in our text in 2 Corinthians 8. I want to put verse 4 back up on the screen. And I want you to look at what it says up here. Begging us with much urging for the favor of participation in the saints. You hear what he said? Begging us. Here's the implication of this text of Scripture. Paul looked at their situation and saw how desperate it was, saw how financially destitute they were, saw how, the, how afflicted and the persecution they were facing. And the implication is that Paul decided, hey guys, we're not even going to take up the offering here. These folks, there's no way. that They can't do this. And Paul says, they begged us. You ever forgotten to take up the offering and somebody in the back go, hey, whoa, whoa. No, you cannot not take the offering. I'm begging you, please pass the plate. I've never seen that happen in a church. Paul says, they begged us. And they didn't just kind of beg us. Paul says they begged us with much urging. It's a passionate plea. They said, Paul, you cannot rob us of the opportunity don't you look at our circumstances Paul the spiritual giant was going to pass them by why would they beg him look here's why look what it said for the favor the word favor is a word that literally could be translated privilege of participation the word participation there's a Greek word you probably know it's the Greek word koinonia How many of you have heard that word before, right? Yeah. We typically think it means coffee pots and casseroles, right? Koinonia means fellowship. But the word fellowship, what it literally means is to share in the life of another. You see, these people were so moved by what God had done in them. They begged Paul for the opportunity to join in what God was doing in the lives of other people. You got all these missionaries here. Jeremy gave me a copy of your guide that you have that describes all of these different missionary partners Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. You know what you're doing today? You're not giving, you're not making a commitment to give to a church. You're begging for the opportunity to share in the lives of these men and women. To join in God's 
global purpose. Let me tell you one story <coughs> from Las Vegas, and I'll, I'll wrap up here. About seven years ago, we had a lady walk in our church off the streets of Vegas looking for some financial assistance. She and her live-in boyfriend were about to be kicked out of their apartment, um, about to have their utilities cut off, have nowhere to live. She's looking for some financial help, and we connected with her because as a part of our missionary giving, we do, I'm sure like you, set aside a portion of that where we meet physical needs in our own city, in our Jerusalem. We had resources because the people in our church had given, we had resources to meet this physical need, to then get her connected to a group of ladies that came around her, ultimately led her to faith in Christ. She was born again into a relationship with God, came to know Jesus, began to grow in her faith. About six months later, I got an email from her mother. Her mother sends me an email and says, we've been estranged from our daughter for about a decade. She was raised in a Christian family, but we lost touch with her, didn't know where in the world she was. She said she's recently reached out to us, told us the story of what God's done in her life there in Las Vegas of all places and our family. You can just hear the emotion as she's pouring out this email, this gratitude for what God had done in her daughter's heart. I skipped down to the end of the email and she closes the email by saying, Pastor, if your church ever wants to do anything in our nation, you have an open invitation from our government to come and work here. Now, that caught my attention, so I looked down to see who signed this email. She was the executive assistant to the undersecretary at the United Nations on behalf of a nation in East Africa. Now, that's an awesome story if we stopped right there. But a year and a half ago, our church in Las Vegas adopted an unengaged, unreached people group in the Arabian Peninsula. We call the Wadi people. 700,000 with no access to the gospel. Not one believer that we know of that speaks their language. Such a dangerous place in the world that our own government will right now not even give us visas to go there yet. We can't get into the country. So we began to do a study of how do you reach people when you can't get there. And what we learned from missiologists is you find some pockets in the world where those people live outside of their homeland. You go connect with them there, lead them to Christ, and hopefully then they get sent back into their homeland with the gospel. So we did a study of the globe to find out where the Wadi people live outside of their homeland. There are only four places on the planet where they exist outside of their homeland. Guess where one of them is? In that nation in East Africa where this godly mother who's an executive in their government invited us to come and do anything we want to do. Now, here's why I share that story with you. We thought we were paying somebody's light bill. God was opening a door to a people group on the other side of the world that had never had access to the God. You think today... You're filling out a card to give an offering. What you don't know is the bigger picture. Listen, you're going to give an offering right here in Birmingham, Alabama, and it's not going to be until we're around the throne of Jesus Christ meeting men and women. You want to talk about a welcome. Man, when, when we're at the throne and they say it's time to turn and shake hands and you start meeting people from every tribe, every tongue, every people, and every nation, and some of those people are going to be there as a direct result. Listen, it's not that God needs our money. It's not 
not that God needs us to be involved, but God has given us by his grace the unbelievable privilege to join in the big picture of what he's doing. And one of the ways we do that is through the vehicle of giving. Today you're going to give and share in God's global purpose. Well, there are a few other things in this text. I won't mention them. We won't won't unpack them. Their giving was considered radical by others. (laughs) Excuse me, Paul says in verse 4 that um, they gave not as we'd expected. When you start living like this and giving this way, there are going to be people that think you've lost your minds. But I will close with this. Their giving was a reflection of Jesus. You do know that the core message of the gospel is generosity. That's why in 2 Corinthians 8, if you read down a little further in verse 9, here's what Paul said. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. The whole message of the gospel is that God so loved the world that he what? You know the verse. He gave. He gave. My mentor, Johnny Hunt, says you're never more like Jesus than when you're giving. The gospel is that Jesus gave everything for us so that you and I could have everything in him that's the gospel so here you find a group of people radically moved by the grace of God overwhelmed by the grace of God and their response was incredible generosity so you know what we're really going to find out today as you give here's what we're going to find out how moved are you by the grace of God how overwhelmed are you by what he's done in you I'm going to close this in prayer in just a minute before I do your pastor has asked me to ask you to every one of you Take one of these cards. They're in the seat back there in front of you. And if you will just pass those down the road. These few days that you've been celebrating this global impact celebration have led you to this moment today. When this morning you're going to make a financial commitment tonight. You're going to talk about a life commitment. And really if we're going to engage in God's global activity it's holistic it's not either or it's not you make a financial commitment or a life commitment Lord and anything but yes really don't go together right Lord yes with my life my resources my time my talent my treasure everything on this card that you have in front of you you have an opportunity to demonstrate The same kind of generosity that was demonstrated by this church here that we read about this morning. We have an opportunity today to capture the attention of our Savior. On this card, there are three little boxes here. There's one that says, sharing Jesus with at least one person. That really ought to be a no-brainer. We really shouldn't even have to have that on the card, right? That we're all this year going to share Jesus with at least one person. Everybody can do that. We're going to pray for unchurched friends and for our church's evangelistic and missions activities. You're going to take this 
piece of information that you have that has all these people. And this is not just information. This is a prayer guide for you to take and begin to labor over these men and women in these regions of the world in prayer. But then thirdly, there's an opportunity for you to support the Make Jesus Known offering with a gift for 2014. And there they're wanting you to put your total amount that you'll give in 2014 towards this offering. I know you've been praying. You've been seeking the Lord about this. This is not new for you today. This, you, you've had this. You've been praying over this. Here's my challenge to you. Give in response to the grace of God in your life. And give in such a way that you capture the attention of your Savior. Let's pray together. Lord, would you have your way in these moments? God, as we come to this critical moment of decision. God, would you move us? Would you move on our hearts to respond? We bless you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.